here, and I'm welcoming you back to Freedom in the Spirit Ministries podcast. It is so good to have you here, and I am so thrilled to bring you a message uh, that I believe is going to hit home with you. Not only is it going to hit home with you and how you have your Christian walk with Christ, I believe it's going to hit home with you on how you encourage others to have their Christian walk with, with Christ. So, are you ready for the title of this message? The title of this message is, Is Your Life Worth It? Seems kind of deep, but the question is, is your life worth it? We're going to be going into the book of Romans, chapter 1, 18 through 32. Before I begin, I just want to let you know that in no way, shape, or form is God wanting this message really attacking you. Um, I believe that God in no way is attacking you in any way, shape, or form if any of this applies to you, okay? If this applies to you, just please keep listening, and please keep your mind open and your heart open uh, to let God tell you, not me, let God convict or let God lift you up, um, exalt you. Whatever God wants to do, let him do it in this, okay? But this is no way in shape or form uh, to attack you if the, any of the stuff that I talk about applies to you because there's, there's ways out in things. He wants you to know that that is further from the truth because his truth actually sets you free. His truth is not about offending you. His truth is about setting you free. So if you listen to this, I promise you, God is going to set you free if, if you're living a way that you're not supposed to be living or if you're encouraging somebody else to live a life that is not of God. So we're going to be going into Romans 1, 18 through 32, but John 8, 32 says that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. God wants you to know the truth. I believe that this message is not to chastise or convict but to show and enrich you. I believe that this message is to train and equip you for the world as it is becoming more and more spiritually unstable. I believe that you will understand more on compromising the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is definitely something we don't want to do. As society seems to evolve into a downward spiral, I believe we as Christians can evolve with society in an upward spiral just as fast, if not faster. An upward spiral that signifies us getting deeper in our relationship with God, not compromising the gospel of Jesus Christ, while changing the world through his power, spreading his good news of the salvation. I believe that this is a prophecy passage of scripture from Paul himself for today's world. A prophecy that we no longer have to ask ourselves on what is happening in our world today, because the answer actually, the answer to that question, what is happening in our world today? Why is our world going the way it is? Why, why is evil becoming good and good becoming evil? Why is this happening? The answer lies in Scripture. It lies in Scripture. And I believe... A lot of the answer lies in Romans 1, 18 through 32. I firmly believe that this is a prophecy passage from Paul. I believe Paul was not just an apostle. I believe that he had a whole bunch of revelations for a later time. So let's start with this. Romans 1, 18 through 32. 
It says, for the wrath of God is revealed. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a lot of scripture in this, okay? So bear with me. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth of unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creepy things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies amongst themselves, who exchanged the truth for God for a lie, and worshipped and served the cre the creator or the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men leaving the natural use of a woman burned in their lust for one another, men and men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They were worshippers, backbiters, or whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Those who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. There's, I see two types of characteristics of people in this world in today's age. Two types of characteristics of people. People who live their lives according to this passage of Scripture ungodly and unrighteous, or people who live their lives opposite than this passage of Scripture, which is godly and which is righteous. Let's break this down. Number one, God will, real, will reveal his wrath against sin. Romans 1, 18 through 19, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. What does wrath mean? What, is, what does wrath mean? Let's get into wrath, right? In the dictionary it says wrath is extreme anger. The synonyms for wrath is anger, rage, fury, outrage, displeasure, annoyance, irritation. In order to express God's nature, holiness, truth, and justice, God must punish sin. 
It's inevitable. Sin personally offends God. No one should be surprised that sin makes God angry. If one denies God's anger to sin, they personally reject the necessity of Christ's work on the cross. By Jesus Christ suffering on that cross and mankind's for the entire world, we need to understand that there is no reason why anyone should spend eternity in hell. Get this. This is a key point. We need to understand that there is no reason why anyone should spend eternity in hell unless they voluntarily reject God's truth. Our life is a choice. We could either live in righteousness or live in unrighteousness. Number two, there are those who will deny God's existence. Romans 1, 20 through 23 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. They weren't thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. And birds and four-footed animals and creepy things. You see, people now, more than ever, throw themselves at the feet of Satan by denying that there is a God capable of salvation. People are denting the inexcusable evidence that there is a God. Also, as scripture says... People will doubt God and decide there is no God and live like the world. You've got so many religions out there. You've got postmodernism. You've got naturalism. You've got universalism, spiritualism, New Ageism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam. You've got all these religions in the world. And you know what? You could pretty much pinpoint them to getting to the point where all of them lead to atheism. Atheism. Marshall Brain. He had supposed evidence that there is no God. Matter of fact, he says, notice that there is no scientific evidence that God exists. There is no scientific evidence indicating that God exists. We all know that. Listen, people, I'm telling you right now, his statement that says we all know that tells me right now he's trying to persuade people that there is no God. Because I don't know that. For example, God has never left any physical evidence on the existence of the earth. Number two, none of Jesus' miracles left any physical evidence either. God has never spoken to modern man, for example, by taking over all television stations and broadcasting a national message to everyone. Number four, the resurrection of Jesus has never appeared to anyone. Number five, the Bible we have is probably incorrect and obviously the work of primitive men rather than God. Number six, when we realize, analyze prayer and statistics, we find no evidence that God has answered prayers. Number seven, huge, amazing atrocities like the Holocaust and AIDS occur without any response from God, and so on. 
He goes on to say, let's agree that there's no evidence showing that God exists. And there should be evidence many of God's supposed attributes should create evidence. For example, the Bible says that God answers prayers. But we know that the belief in prayer is a superstition, the lack of evidence. Seen in the prayer realm acts as evidence that God is imaginary. So absence of evidence can be evidence of absence. Because it shows that God is not doing things he has promised to do. If you think about it as a rational person, this lack of evidence is startling. There is not one bit of empirical evidence indicating that today's God's word, nor any other contemporary God, nor any God of the past exists. In addition, we know that if we had scientific proof of God's existence, we would talk about the science of God rather than faith in God. If we had scientific proof of God's existence, the study of God would be a scientific endeavor rather than a theological one. If we had scientific proof of God's existence, all religious people would be aligning on the God that had been scientifically proven to exist. Instead, there are thousands of gods and religions. The reason for this lack of evidence is easy for any unbiased observer to see. The reason why there is no inferential evidence for a God is because God is imaginary. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go back through this and let's go ahead and sit here and say why God does exist because this martial brain is sitting here saying the complete opposite than what the Word of God has said and has said for centuries and years of that God exists. He says, notice there's no scientific evidence. God has never left any physical evidence on the existence of the earth. I beg to differ because Psalm 19.1 says the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. The sun, the moon, the stars, the trees, the, the seas, the oceans, everything God has made. And we're sitting there looking at it every single day. None of Jesus' miracles left any physical evidence either. I'm here to tell you that I've seen Jesus' miracles happen even today in today's age of healing of cancer and healing of people that they're sick. I've seen healings happen right now that Jesus isn't even here and it's happening through his name. It says, God has never spoken to modern man. I hate to tell you this, but God has spoken to me. God speaks to you. God speaks to his people. The resurrected Jesus has never appeared to anyone. I'll tell you right now that there is documentations and there's physical documentation saying that over 500 people seen Jesus after he rose from the dead. When you sit here and you say that Jesus has never been seen by anybody, those apostles seen him, Mary saw him, all the 500 people in that day saw him, and Paul seen him even after he was gone. You want to tell me that Jesus has never appeared to anybody? There's documented proof other than the Bible that Jesus has appeared to people. How do you think that we actually had the Bible get made before? The Bible we have is probably incorrect, and obviously the work of printed men other than God. I'm here to tell you that every prophecy in the Bible that's ever been in the Bible, and every prophecy that's said in the Bible that is being fulfilled today has been fulfilled. There's 300 plus uh, prophecies that Jesus has done alone that has been fulfilled. So if you want to say that the Bible is incorrect, how do you explain every single prophecy coming to true, line by line by line by line, being 100% correct and proven accurate. How could you sit here and tell me that? When you sit here and you say that we analyze prayer with statistics, we find no evidence that God is answering prayers, I'm going to tell you right now by the word of our testimony that God has answered prayers for me. He has answered prayers for you. He has answered prayers for his people. He has answered his prayers for Israel. He has answered his prayers throughout the ages. And when you sit here and talk about huge, amazing atrocities like Holocaust and AIDS, I'm here to tell you that man made a choice that brought on 
holocaust to AIDS. Man wants to sit here and sleep with other men. You're going to get AIDS and you're going to get diseases to do that because it is wrong. It is the sin of a Bible. See, God doesn't sit here and just go on blessings. He sit here and has curses for people that don't want to obey him. Deuteronomy 28 says that you who want to obey God's word will be blessed and you who disobey God's word will be cursed. It's very simple. When you sit here and you disobey God's word, you are going to have punishment for your actions. So it's no surprise to me that Holocaust and AIDS have occurred without any response from God. The reason why is because man is so caught up in the Holocaust that is showing instead of the God that can heal him of it. I'm telling you right now that you want me to agree that God does not exist. I'm telling you right now that God does exist. There is no imaginary aspect of God in life as it is in today. We have had scientific proof of God's existence. We would talk about the science of God rather than the faith of God. Let me tell you something. The science of God is actually from man. Science is a man thing that man comes up and tries to show, hey, science doesn't prove God exists. When we know in the Bible good and well that the faith of God is what brings it, uh, to existence, what brings God into existence, what brings his word to existence, and it's what faith is what we can speak life into people. You want to sit here and say that you've had scientific proof of God's existence, I'm telling you, we have had scientific proof of God's existence as well. Matter of fact, God is allowing science to coerce with the Bible, to get in, in line with the Bible in our day and age. Who? Don't get me started on there's no God. I'm going to tell you right now that there is a God. And if you think that there's no God, I just gave you every living proof of there being a God. And there's a lot more to it than that. God made everything. People now more than ever throw themselves at the feet of Satan by denying that there is a God capable of salvation. Ladies and gentlemen... What I just told you is that there is a God, and there's proof that there is a God, and you know what? There's salvation, and when God says there's salvation for you, that means you have it. You have it, as long as Lord, He is Lord and Savior of your life. Don't get me started on there's no God, because I'm going to tell you right now there is a God. I'm so fired up about this. I'm going to stop for just one second because there is a God. How do you think everything that's put in, put in existence is put perfectly? A few degrees closer to the sun, we'd burn. A few degrees closer away from the sun, we would freeze. Just a tiny bit of degrees. You want to tell me there's no God? The oxygen is just perfect for man to survive. You want to tell me there's no God? There's such thing called a law of human nature that every person has in their heart or has in their heart, and it's a moral compass that only one being can give to mankind and to every one of mankind. There is a God. Matter of fact, C.S. Lewis a famous atheist turned Christian. He said that if there is the law of human nature in man, in all of mankind on earth, there has to be a supreme being that gave that law of human nature. 
there has to be something or someone that gave that to us, to every bit of mankind. And he turned Christian because he's seen the proof and the evidence that there was a God. God has given us a choice. Romans one twenty four through 31 Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. In the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the Creator, the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, buried in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which is due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, and unmerciful. You want to know why our world is the way it is? It's because God gave man a choice. Good is becoming evil, and evil is becoming good in the world's eyes. We have homosexuality running rampant in our world today. We have boasters running rampant in our world today, violence in our world today, proud. That can go with homosexuality. Matter of fact, let's touch base on proud and gay pride. They use the rainbow, which is God's promise to the world, his first promise to the world, not to destroy the world by a flood again. And they take God's first promise as a rainbow. You want to tell me that we're not in the days of Noah? I'm going to tell you right now, they're using the sign in Noah's day to promote their agenda in homosexuality using God's promise to do it. That's a sign, people, the days of Noah, the rainbow being used in our day. We are in the days of Noah. Unrighteousness is running rampant in the world today. Sexual immorality is running rampant. Wickedness, covetousness, you want it to haters of God is running rampant in the world today. Unforgiveness is running rampant in the world today. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a choice to live godly or to live ungodly. Is your life worth it? We have a choice to live in righteousness or unrighteousness. Is your life worth it? We have a choice to live in sin or without sin. Is your life worth it? That is the question. Is your life worth it? We have a choice to live by the blueprint of life that Almighty God has given us. The scriptures, the Bible, the blueprint of life, the word of God, the word of the living God. 
Is your life worth it? What are sins? Number one, you can go to the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says, Do not, do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, nor extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. You were washed and you were sanctified. How many of you is washed and sanctified right now by the blood of the Lamb? How can people be deceived? By us. We can deceive people. You wonder why I asked that question, because point number four is something that we really need to take into consideration. We must not assist others in sin. Let me say that again. We must not assist others in sin. For the word of God in, in verse number 32 says, Who knowing the righteous judgment of God? And those who practice such things are deserving of death. Now this is talking about the people that practice such things. Look at the next part. Not only do the same. Now we're talking about people, other other people right now, but also approve of those who practice them. Do you approve of the sin that people around you are doing? Do you encourage it? If we assist and encourage others to sin, we are just as guilty as the sinner themselves. We must set the example of Christ living without sin and encouraging others to stay out of sin. It is a hard life to live, to live without sin. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's almost impossible. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How do we separate ourselves from the ways of the world? 1 John 1, 7-9 says, But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Is your life worth it? The question is, is your life worth it? We've already established that there's a God. We've already established that there's sin. 
we've already established what the sin is, and we've already established that if we approve and encourage others to sin, we're as guilty as they are too. See, the world is confusing love and forgiveness with acceptance of their ways. They want people so bad to accept them, accept their ways and what they're doing. I'm not saying not to accept the people. I'm saying not to accept the sin. Love does not mean acceptance, ladies and gentlemen. Love is unconditional. It doesn't mean you have to accept what they're doing. In closing on this, I want to go to Revelation 20, 11 through 4. It says, And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence. But they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged. Each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Notice that it says the sea gave up the dead who were in it. There's people in hell right now. Hell is a real place. Heaven is a real place. Is your life worth heaven or is it worth hell? Or better yet, is your life worthy of heaven or worthy of hell? Friends, I'm here to tell you that we need to not be in the trap of accepting people's sin. Though we accept them, love them, show your love to them, show God's love to them. Don't push them away for their sin. For the only thing that can overcome fear is love. The only thing that can overcome sin is God's perfect love. John Wesley put it perfect when he said that in our human form, it's absolute, we cannot become perfect. We can never be perfect. We never can obtain perfection in our human form. He said, but when you tap into God's love and God's spirit and you start understanding God's perfect love, you can strive for perfection and you can obtain it through God's perfect love. That's the only way perfection could ever happen. Now, it's in an aspect of spirituality and in perfect love, because the only way we can even become perfect is being in God's perfect love. It's not human perfection, and honestly, spiritually, we're not perfect either. But when you're in the perfect love of God, you can obtain that perfection. Am I saying that we're perfect? I'm not saying that at all. Am I saying that we'll ever be perfect? I'm not saying that at all. But what I am telling you is this, is that in God's perfect love, His perfect love is enough for us to obtain perfection of His love. 
So as I close this out today, I want to make sure that we are not accepting sin in place of people. In turn, I want to make sure we're not pushing people away with their sin. I can't stress to you enough that we need to love more. I have to work on it. Look, hey, I'm going to tell you, and one thing you know about me, when I when I preach, I sit here and I give it, but I also take it. I tell people I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes, and you know what? I may have made a mistake yesterday. I made a mistake today. I've made these mistakes of pushing people away, but I'm going to tell you something. Here's a testimony of me with homosexuality. I used to hate homosexuals. It used to disgust me. It used to used to just grab me and make me angry at the way people could be. Nasty. That's the way that I was before I was saved. And after I got saved and received my salvation, came back to Christ on that awesome Easter Sunday. And one day, I'm actually going to put a podcast on here about my full testimony about what God has done. But this part of the testimony about homosexuality really hits me home, really hits home with me. Because God, even after I obtained salvation and rededicated my life to God and and to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I still had a thing that I, I couldn't really stand homosexuals and lesbians and bisexuals I couldn't do it it just couldn't happen it was against me against my religion against it all notice I said a religion keep in mind that's the first problem I had was I was worried about religion instead of a relationship with Jesus Christ religion is dead it's gone it's got to go religion killed our Savior but our relationship with Christ lives We'll get into that concept on another podcast as well. But with regards to this, I was working and we had a lesbian that would volunteer. And uh, man, she's an awesome, awesome person too, man. I tell you what, she's a great person. But God was dealing with me during this and she came up to me. She started talking to me and God opened up the door for me to minister to her. And and uh, <laughs> she asked the question. She says, I'm, I'm a lesbian. Does God love me? Because your word, his word says that we're wrong and we're sin. It strikes me that she asked me this question and I knew it was the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was starting to enact in me and start to guide and say, and this is where my life changed with homosexuals. Because no longer was I concentrated on her actions of homosexuality, I was now concentrated on a person who Jesus loves so much and who God loves so much. Now the Holy Spirit is enacting something in me that fires me up about the homosexual because I used to hate him. And the Holy Spirit stirred in me and he said this, This is not me. This is the Holy Spirit that said this. And he said, God loves every bit of you. And this is the seed that was planted in her that day. And I I hope that she gave her life right with God because she was having some heart problems. 
And I hope that she's still around and she's thinking about this. And I hope that she gave her heart to God. Because at the time, she really didn't want to. She wanted to have questions about what what Christianity was about. And I said, and this is what I told her. I said, you know what? I said, God loves you so much. He loves you. He died for you. He died for to save you. I said, but I tell you this. When you come to me and you talk to me and you ask me this question, here's my answer to you. It is not my job to judge you. My job is to talk to you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and spread the gospel of his word that there is hope for you, goodness for you, and salvation for you. And God will do the rest in you. See, our job as the Christian is to plant the seed, not condemn and judge. So take that with you. God turned a situation of me hating somebody to me knowing how to love someone. That is all God and what he can do. That has nothing to do with Jared Free. That has nothing to do with you whenever God speaks to you. But when I talk about love, this is where it comes from. It's, it's amazing to me because the love of people came from my conversation with a homosexual lesbian that wanted to know the truth about God's word. And you know what she told me? She says, I don't want to talk to anybody about this but you. And she kept coming back to me and getting prayer and coming back to me and talking to me about it. And all of a sudden, she was done and gone. But you know what? The love of Jesus Christ was spread to her, not through me, but through the Holy Spirit through me. And it could happen with you too. So basically, let's not get caught up in the sins of people. Let's get caught up in people in general. Yeah, they're doing what they're doing. Okay, fine. They're doing wrong. We understand that. But let's not get caught up with what they're doing. Let's get caught up in bringing them back to Christ or bringing them to Christ. Let's not encourage people to sin. Let's not allow people to come into our homes and bring sin in with them. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, I thank you for coming and I hope this ministered to you because there is a God. Father God, you are so awesome. Oh man, when I look at the, the sun, the moon, the stars, the trees, the mountains, the seas, Father, the only thing that comes to my mind, God, is my creator that has created me to be above all that. Father, I thank you for thinking of me, God. But more importantly, as I am here with others, Father, I pray that you bless these people that are listening. God, I thank you for what you're doing through them. 
Father, I ask that you bless them, God. You speak to them. You minister to them. I ask that the word that was said today that they heard right now, God, is something that you have instilled in their hearts. Father, you are a God of love. You've shown your love perfectly to me. You've shown your love perfectly to everybody, God, and I ask that you let us abide in your love, Lord. Father, I pray for each and every person that is listening to this, God, and I pray that you bless their life abundantly, God. I pray that you give them opportunity to share your word, Lord. Father, I pray that you give them strength and courage, Lord. And whatever situation comes their way, God, Father, we don't live in a good world. But that's why we're ambassadors for you. So, Lord, I pray that you go with us, God. I pray that your word go forth, Lord. In your word, John 1, 1. I've said this before, Lord. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That word meaning your son. So we pray that your word, your son, go forth in front of us no matter where we go. Let the Holy Spirit move before we even attempt to. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing, God. In Jesus, Nazareth, your son, we pray. Amen. Hey, I want to thank you all for being here. And, uh, you know, until next time, never forget, Jesus is real. Jesus is true. Jesus is the real truth. God bless.